This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Yes, welcome everybody! To another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is your friend and mine, more mine, I actually have a cell phone number, do you? The fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Happy All-Star Weekend. I hope that this has been like a bit of a stress-free week for anyone who's been really agonizing over their fantasy team and i mean let's be truthful many of us do even when things are going well so i hope you took the weekend to rejuvenate refresh relax and get ready for the home stretch of the 2018-19 nhl season for which we'll have tons of news and tidbits to prepare you for beginning very shortly beginning right now right yeah it's been a weird break because it's been right in the middle of a fantasy hockey matchup right like on yahoo the matchup started last monday and it's going until next sunday and we've had this weird four-day hiatus i wrote a tweet saying it reminds me of the fight in the prequel star wars movie where obi-wan and qui-gon were fighting darth maul then that gate came up and they just kind of had to stand and wait that's why i feel like my matchup has been going like i want to finish this thing i feel like i have my opponents where i want them and now i just gotta hope that when we come back after the break uh, you know it'll, i'll be able to finish the job chop them in half and drop them down the pit i don't remember what that pit was called but anyways okay so brian before we get started with all of our news and notes and tidbits as you said let's of course mention that we are presented by dauberhockey.com the top fantasy hockey website out there we're so lucky to be presented by them you go there every day you get your articles you get your rankings you get all the great tools at frozen tools which i use to prep the show every week as does brian player profiles giving you all the pdo coursey that you need line combinations starting goalies it's all there dauberhockey.com check it out you will not be disappointed and now brian how about we get started we've only had three days of action since our last show but i think i've still been able to cobble together an interesting list of players to discuss heading into the like you said the final couple months of the season the home stretch i wanted to start though with maybe a general like strategy advice question because this is the time of the season where i feel like we're more than halfway we're approaching the two-thirds point of the year Is this a point now where, like, if we've been waiting for a player to improve or regress all season, do we need to start accepting that what's been happening so far is likely going to continue happening till the end of the year? And if not, like, is does that point even exist? Like, I'm thinking, like, last year, I feel like somehow we did something wrong with William Carlson, right? Like, all year long, we looked at his numbers and said, this guy's going to slow down. This guy's going to slow down. 
and he never did. Like also Carey Price on the other side, right? Like we we're like he, he's Carey Price. He'll be fine. He's just on a cold stretch, and the season continued and continued, and. Uh, he never got it together. And I wonder if we should have at some point in the year been like, okay, I guess this is just the 2017-18, you know, William Carlson's and, and Carey Price's. So I'm just curious to know what you think about that. Like, are we at a point where we need to start changing our perspectives and just sort of like accept that things are how they are? Or is that just bananas talk? I think that's bananas talk because usually when we're saying a player is going to regress, it's because there's something unsustainable there. If a player is doing something new for the first time and we have a lot of evidence for why they're doing it, like their shot rates are better or their deployment and usage is up, or in a goalie's case, the team in front of them is garbage, uh, we can confidently say uh, they're going to keep doing whatever they're doing because of A, B, and C. But when uh, they're doing the exact same thing they did another time when they got a lot, like had a much different fortune and all that's different is the percentages, like the things that that we call variants uh, that's found in IPP shooting percentage on ice shooting percentage. Um, if those numbers, if those percentages are too high or too low and everything else is the same, then uh, it's still reasonable to think, well, the gig should be up at some point. And of course, it's possible, like William Carlson, that, you know, the coin keeps flipping heads the whole way through an 82 game season that happens. But it doesn't mean that at some point we're like, ah, they've done it for 50 games. Let's throw every piece of evidence at the window and just say, well, this is who they are in 2018, 19. I think, Elon, this would actually be a really good time to talk about the gambler's fallacy, right? Which is you, you could probably explain it better than I can. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's this idea that you think that just because something has kept on happening, you you think that it's due for the opposite thing to happen. So like if you're playing roulette and it goes black and black and black over and over again, you're like, okay, we're due for red, even though really it's like the same chances of being black or red every single time you spin the wheel. So so what are you, what are you trying to say, Brian? I'm saying that don't buy into the gambler's fallacy either and think that just because something has happened for 50 games, it's going to change. Like if you flip a coin 50 times, right, and you get tails 15 times to start, you think that, okay, well, heads is due on the 16th flip, and then it's tails again, and it's more due on the 17th flip. But each coin flip is a flip, like it's a brand new event in and of itself. Every flip has a 50-50 chance Except with a lot of these players performing unsustainably, they have a less than 50-50 chance to keep it up. Like it's it's a much smaller uh, chance, like William Carlson's 43-goal season last year uh, had a much smaller chance of happening all the way through than 1 in 2, right? It was probably like 1 in 10 or 1 in 20 or whatever. So it still feels right to expect regression to happen if there's no other evidence to explain why a player's performance is coming off so differently from expectations. But it also doesn't mean that it's due to like a a hot run is due to end or a cold streak is due to snap because every game is a brand new game. One thing Elon though, that I will add in is that I am trying this thing this year, trying at least to keep it in mind where I'm considering the factor that a team plays in a player's uh, positive or negative uh, lack of lack of regression, lack of expected regression. So I'm talking about teams this year, especially like Philadelphia and Anaheim, where I just don't know how deep-seated the problems are and how much of a drag that's really putting on their players. So normally you'd expect a player with a poor on-ice shooting percentage to get a little more shooting luck from themselves and their teammates and be able to bounce back that way. But 
on a team like Anaheim who takes 13 shots a game or Philadelphia has several system problems or think back to teams of Buffalo and Carolina's past where the team just was stuck shooting at like six or 7% for an entire season. There was something systemic going on there. So I'm trying to keep my mind open to that being the reason for players having odd percentages, odd percentages and variants that I actually shouldn't expect to regress because there's a bigger issue than just what's happening to the the individual player. Okay, so I, I just thought that would be an interesting thing that we could sort of bring up and then maybe we could reference this theme throughout this episode as we're talking about some of these players who've maybe been hot or cold all season long. Where I'm getting called out in the chat room here. Yes, a, a roulette wheel can also go on green, which I guess means everyone loses. So I, maybe my uh, analogy there wasn't like perfect. I'm, I'm trying my best here. Not everyone loses. The people who put it on green win. True. Oh, man. It's such a complex game. What? We, we should start a roulette podcast and start giving advice about that, I think. And Brian, by the way, what you're saying about Philly and Anaheim, maybe you can say the same thing about teams like Calgary, you know, teams that are scoring so many goals. Maybe you want to give these players more leeway to be able to continue something somewhat unsustainable just because the team is so good. But OK, we'll get to the players and we'll discuss it as we go. I want to start with... Carey Price, because I've already brought him up, and I want to sort of do this episode. We'll do talk about like hot streaks and cold streaks and sort of jump around the league of players who are doing things that we weren't expecting them to be doing at this point in the season. Since I brought up Carey Price, I want to look at him for a sec. He's been on quite a run recently. He's got four straight wins and a 971 save percentage over those four games. And if you zoom out a little bit, he's actually 7-4 and four with a 948 save percentage and a 1.65 goals against average over his past 11 games, which is like over a month. So Carey Price is hot, hot, hot lately. Like finally the Carey Price that we were expecting to see going into last season, the 2017-18 season. Of course, even with this run, he's still only at a 9.15 save percentage on the season. And of course, that just goes to show how bad he was before. Like he had this terrible stretch to start the season. He wasn't able to put together two like 900 save percentage plus games in a row until November 27th, which was absolutely crazy. So Brian, at this point, can we say like, is Carey Price back? Is this current run that he's on sustainable? Like, should everyone be who drafted and be like super excited that they have this like stud goalie now that's going to anchor their team as they head into the fantasy playoffs? Or is this just like a mirage and we should expect them to be just as volatile as all the other goalies have been this season? Like every goalie who's been good like two months ago, it's probably doing like badly now. But Carey Price used to be this guy that we were like, if we could depend on anyone, it's Carey Price. He's finally doing it. And now I feel like I have to ask, can we actually depend on this guy? So I don't know that Carey Price is back, nor do I know if he'll ever be back to the dominant ways he once showed. But I will say that Carey Price is certainly back to at least being a reasonable goaltending option. His numbers this year are all, of course, better than last year, but still not quite standing out to the extent they once did head and shoulders above the rest of the league. Price's numbers do still stand a little above an an average NHL goalie, which is something that you weren't sure at some point that we'd ever be able to say again. So there it is. We said it. Good for Carey Price. What's also important here is that the team in front of Carey Price has also bounced back from last season when the Habs were the perfect storm of both defense and goalie imploding all at once. But this year, the Habs are actually rating as one of the stingiest teams in the league and expected goals against for 60 minutes. They rank sixth, sandwiched between L.A. and Vegas? Sure, whatever. Like, I I can't explain why L.A. is being so stingy either, but Montreal is, and that's a good thing both for them and for Carey Price. 
Interesting. Yeah, I remember reading something on like Roto World, maybe around November about Carey Price was saying, you know, it's just in my head. Like, I feel like like he was sort of saying that, like, he thought it was a mental reason why he wasn't playing well, didn't have to do with any physical injuries. So I guess he got his, his head straight. Didn't he miss like a couple games? He took maybe he took like a really short vacation at some point. Niemi played a couple games in a row. And now Carey Price is great. I feel like it doesn't sound like you're saying like sell high for sure. There's no chance he could keep this up. But at the same time, maybe don't, you know, go all in. Like if you can, you know, find a Habs fan in your league and then send them carry price and get back like a similar goalie plus like an amazing skater or something. You might want to take a look and see if you could do that. It's hard to imagine he's going to stay like a 948 save percentage for the whole rest of the season. Uh, since we're on the Habs, Brian, I know you on your couple team, you streamed in Phil Dano in the tier one Sweden division recently. He had, he's been like in a really good spot. Like after the Habs shook up their lines, Dano and ended up on the line with Druin and Gallagher and he recently had a four game point streak but he's actually now scoreless in his last two games do you see Dano as someone worth holding for even like with the Habs only playing Saturday and Sunday of next week like next week actually we should mention in general the schedule is again like super wonky there's some teams not playing until the weekend there's only like two or three teams that have a decent schedule at the start of the week like Philly Winnipeg I think Boston Pittsburgh uh, but Montreal's not one of them so if you have Phil Dano you have to decide do I hold this guy because I like the spot he's in even though he's not going to help me until the weekend or can you just let him go I personally plan on holding Philip Dano. I like the spot he's in, but more importantly, uh, even with that two-game goalless run <laughs> that here's, I feel like you're blowing it up. He's now pointless in two games. It's not so bad. Like that's okay for Phil Dano to go pointless for two games because in his last twenty. He's got 18 points, six goals and 12 assists, 34 shots on goal. It's not a terribly sustainable pace, but it's one that I'm happy to ride out. Like, yes, it's going to be hard to hold Dano while I could stream in more games played, but the free agency pickings in Sweden are are slim enough that I'm going to take the two games out of Dano compared to getting like three or four games by, by streaming some other options. Also, I'm limited to just four moves a week, so I don't think... That's a move. Dropping Dano and streaming streaming someone else in uh, is something that really has a great chance of benefiting me. If I could more easily stream with no move limits, so I might feel okay risking losing Dano and getting someone who plays two or three games ahead of the weekend and then trying to add Dano back, which you probably have a decent chance of doing since the schedules are pretty busy this weekend and Dano's been quiet in his last two games. So if you have unlimited moves and the free agent pool is like reasonably deep with enough Dano-ish options out there, I'd feel fine dropping him. Okay, yeah. So it sounds like you're saying, like, I didn't mean to, like, call him out and say it's a bad thing that he scoreless in two games. I'm just saying he was on a good run. Now he's scoreless in two games. But yeah, no, he's definitely a guy who's on my watch list in the leagues where he's not already owned. And yeah, and, and of course, there's more than just this week, right? There'll be next week, Habs play three times. The week after that, I, I haven't checked <laughs> yet, but I assume that he'll play some games as well. So yeah, sounds like you like him. And we'll see if he can stay on your roster for another couple of weeks or if maybe, obviously, if he goes scoreless again in the next two games, maybe the Habs shake up the lines. And who knows? I, I doubt he stays on the line all season, but I like him. With with Jordan Gallagher right now for sure good point by the way by Kevin in the chat room here saying Price's salary cap is still very hard to swallow so yeah if you're in a cap league and you have Carey Price now might be like a golden opportunity to trade him and unload that you know cap hit and maybe get a decent return while he's on a hot streak this is what you're waiting for because I don't know three four years down the road you'll maybe wish that you got rid of Carey Price so that's something to keep in mind so Brian somewhat tangential to the Habs have you noticed that P.K. Subban, former Hab, has been ice cold lately? He has just one assist in his last seven games, dropping him to 18 points in 33 games on the season for a measly 45-point pace, which would be Subban's lowest point pace since 2011-2012. 
what is going on? His hits and blocks also seem to be way down from what he's done in previous seasons. Do you see this cold run by Subban being sustainable? Like maybe he's someone his owner should be trying to like shed, to trade away, to capitalize on his name value before people realize that he really is cold? Or is it like the opposite? And now is the time to like go and try to buy low on PK Subban before your league's trade deadline and he could be like a key hired gun for your playoff run. So first off, not to be alarmist, but for the second straight year, P.K. Subban has seen a decline in his time on ice. He's actually lost more than three minutes of ice time per game from last season. And the lion's share of those minutes lost have been on the penalty kill, which explains some of the drop in hits and blocks from Subban. Uh, His peripherals rates have actually remained pretty steady at five on five. So if you're looking for an extra block and hit from him, it's because he's not killing penalties quite so often. Uh, Speaking of Subban at five on five, he's also lost a shift or two per game there, which isn't a ton. And really can't account for a whole lot of the loss in his production because Subban's rate stats are all pretty steady at 5-on-5 compared to last season. So the big loss, this leaves only one place for Subban to lose points, and it's on the power play. Last season, Subban had 11 power play points in his first 33 games. That's nearly three times as many as the four power play points Subban has so far this year in the same number of games. But he actually hasn't lost any deployment on the power play. He's still playing on the top unit more often than not. Um, Maybe Nashville has been playing their second unit more this season uh, now that Ryan Ellis is there to helm it. Remember, he wasn't there for the first three months of last season. Uh, But P.K. Subban still on the top unit, still getting the deployment. So where where are these points being lost? Some of, it, some of them are being lost to variance. He has yet to score on 19 power play shots and is a power play IPP at 50%, which is down like 20% over the last few seasons. So that could probably bounce back and give him another point or two here and there. But the bigger picture here is that it's not just P.K. Subban struggling to put goals in the net on Nashville's power play. Nashville's power play as a whole has been pretty pretty bad this year. Have you noticed? Peter Laviolette noticed. There was actually a power play recently where the Preds, they they got the man advantage late in the game, and he sent out his second unit to begin it, to take the offensive zone face-off in what seemed like a message-sending exercise, and it seemed reasonable. I mean, I don't know if he should be sending them a message or someone should be sending Laviolette a message, but the Nashville power play ranks 30th in the league with a 13% power play success rate, 31st in the league in goals for per 60 minutes and 27th in expected goals for per 60 minutes. Like Nashville did not have the best power play in the league last season, far from it, but they also weren't so bottom of the barrel. So this is what We need to watch to see if P.K. Subban can bounce back and get some of his power play point production back. Like he's only been on the ice for eight power play goals for Ryan Ellis, usually helming the second unit, has been on the ice for 11 power play goals for. So I'm actually kind of curious to see coming out of the all-star break, if the Predators try and readjust or rejig their power play personnel, or at least the system they're playing to try and get this men advantage unit going. So the summary, you asked me about P.K. Subban, what should we expect from him? Look, he's fine at five on five, but he's going down with the ship on the power play. So we'll see if Nashville can write the ship. I have faith that they can, but until they do, P.K. Subban's overall numbers are going to look worse than he probably deserves. 
Okay, so a typical Brian Com answer. Lots of great data, but in the end, we don't know, right? Like, I don't know, buy, buy low, sell high. Hard to say. I guess it depends what happens with this power play. If you say that they're going to shake things up, that could mean bumping him down, getting Roman Yosi back up there to play with Arvidsson and Johansson and Forsberg. And that would obviously be even worse for PK Subban. So, uh, yeah, it's tricky. I don't know. I guess I would personally wouldn't be jumping on him. Maybe if I had him, I wouldn't be, like, trading him for nothing. But it's hard to imagine that he's going to be able to bounce back, like, 60 points without, like, you know, something like you're saying, significant changing on the power play on the plus side in nashville though and a guy who's on this power play that seems to be doing fine ryan johansson going in the opposite direction as Subban. he has seven points in his last six games up to 43 points in 50 games on the season that's a 71 point pace for ryan johansson remember brian back in the day when he had that breakout in columbus and everyone thought okay ryan johansson hit 71 points and he's going to continue doing this like for the rest of his career like this is a superstar on the rise after that he's really settled in as just like a 60s point guy which is fine it's good but like it we all kind of had decided i felt like ryan johansson had hit his ceiling or at least hit like a plateau of where he's gonna be and no turns out i guess he does potentially have more to give as like i said now he's back on a 71 point pace are you seeing anything different out of johansson this season to indicate that he's got more than what he's been showing for the last three seasons or is this a case of someone like bound to regress that's being helped by some favorable variances so just to correct something you said before answering your question about Ryan Johansson, sometimes Roman Yosi and P.K. Subban are playing together on the top unit. In fact, the last few games, it's been Philip Forsberg, Callie Yarncroft, and Victor Arvidsson, sometimes being the three forwards with Subban and Yosi playing together. And that's courtesy of Frozen Pool over at Dabra Hockey. You can see every team's last three game line. So it seems like there are already pieces in motion there. We don't know how they'll fall. But you're right, Elon, P.K. Subban, if things do get shaken up, he could be a victim rather than a benefactor, right? Beneficiary? Benefactor? Uh, Which, what did we learn it is? Who, who cares? I don't know. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Beneficiary is the guy who benefits. Okay. Beneficiary. Okay. You asked me about Ryan Johansson. So, yeah. Yeah. What did you want to know again? <laughs> are we seeing anything different out of Johansson this season to indicate that he's got more than what he's been showing for the last three seasons? Or is this a case of someone bound to regress? Wow. To the word. Good job. Uh, so Johansson, I, I just painted this whole narrative of a struggling natural power play unit, but Ryan Johansson is bucking that trend. He's actually doing just fine on the power play. Uh, he somehow has 11 power play points already, which puts him just four power play points off of his total of 15 from last season. So that's one reason why Johansson's numbers are up. The other reason is that players on the ice with him at five on five have been more successful this year than the last couple at getting pucks past the goalie. And Johansson is getting in on maybe a few more of those goals than he should. So that's why I think his current 71 point pace seems a touch high, but I wouldn't shy away at all from considering him like a sure shot 65 point player with a very legit chance to still break 70. Okay, so you're kind of saying that you still think he's the same guy, but obviously on this team and in his situation, it doesn't take much to go from being a 60 to 65 point guy to a 70 point guy, which is what he's been. Yeah, and like I said, he has like seven points in his last six games. He's not going to keep that up. So maybe it will be tough for him to keep up a 70 point pace all the way. But yeah, nice bounce back season for Ryan Johansson for sure. Uh, just a heads up, also on Nashville, since we're doing Nashville talk, you see Soros. Holy cow, he's been scorching lately. He's got a 955 save percentage over the past month. That's six games, while Pecorine has continued to struggle. Actually, he has an 888 save percentage over the past month. That's nine games. So yeah, Soros has been the better option for the last 15 games for the Predators. And if this continues, 
I know I ask you this all the time, and we never know, but just what's your current take on the situation? Like, do you think Saros could start edging out Pekka for some of his starts? Like, maybe Nashville's starting to wonder if they should go with someone who doesn't have a history of choking in the playoffs before it's too late, and they blow it again when they're a team that's ex- expected to go really far? Preds fans are yelling at whatever or whoever is around them right now listening to to you accuse Pekarina of choking in the playoffs. Do you not remember he was a 930 goalie in the Predators Cup run a couple years back? But outside of that, you'd actually be 100% correct. Uh, Rene's essentially like been a 905 goalie in the postseason. And you do wonder, we've talked about this all season long, including before it even started, when does Nashville start handing the reins over to UC Saros? I mean, so long as Rene continues to struggle and Saros continues to do okay, uh, Nashville has more and more reason to start giving Saros more turns in net. But I also have this feeling, and like it just comes from reading general media about Nashville, that if Nashville wins the cup, I think they would prefer for Rene to be their goalie. Like they want to do it with Pekka and for Pekka. So, for that reason, I feel like they're going to be stubborn about fully handing it over to UC Saros. Like, it, take that all with a grain of salt because that's just my read on the situation. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I <laughs> think this is a real thing, though. Like, they, they love him. Okay, but they want to win. Like, it's like, okay, assuming we win the cup, it would be great <laughs> if we could have Mike Fisher there centering the top line. Wouldn't that be so nice for <laughs> Well, him? they tried that last year. He came out of retirement for them. Oh, speaking of centermen in Nashville, just before we leave the Predators, Someone in the chat, was it Elijah? Elijah also mentioned Ryjo has been shoot Ryan Johansson has been shooting, which is weird. And actually, that's a really interesting thing to mention. Like over the season, it doesn't look so impressive, but he's averaging three shots per game in his last six games, which is like completely out of character for him. Uh, he does not average more than two shots per game in a season. Well, at least since leaving Columbus. He has not been somebody who takes a lot of shots. And 18 shots in six games represents like almost a quarter of his total shooting output over 50 games. So that'll be an interesting trend to see if that can continue or not. It probably won't, right? Like I recall there was a stretch this season where Matt Barzell was uh, taking shots when he hadn't been for a while. And then he sort of has slowed back down to that pace that he was putting up last year in terms of shots on goal. So I, I just get this feeling like Ryan Johansson isn't the type of guy that's changed his whole game in the last like seven and all of a sudden is a big shooter. So that's maybe a reason to not expect this current hot streak to continue at this pace, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not buying into Johansson having changed his game entirely. He's actually gone on a a couple short shooting runs this year already. But again, that still only ever adds up to 89 shots over 50 games. So just, uh, you're not looking for shots from Ryan Johansson. It's a nice bonus if you already have him, but don't go like running for him because suddenly he's throwing pucks on net. Yeah, actually, one guy I recall who did change my perception of him was Alex Barkov. I remember when he first started, he was, like, getting a lot of points, but was, like, barely shooting. And then, like, all of a sudden, he was, like, getting five, six shots a game. And now he's, like, you know, not like the, you know, it's not Alex Ovechkin, but he's, like, pretty reliable for shots on goal. He's not, like, playing below replacement level for that category, like a Joe Thornton or Henrik Sedin type. So he's one guy that's bucked that trend, but that I recall. And you might even look this up and be like, Elon, it's totally wrong. It's just your impression. But uh, yeah, I can't think of many players who have done that, like, after, like, you know, three, four years into their career. Okay, so we're talking about struggling goalies here with Pecorine, right? Sort of. Okay, L- let me try to have a segue here. So let's go to Colorado. What is happening with the Colorado Avalanche? 
Holy cow, Semi and Varlamov started the season so strong. We were talking about how, like, wow, Varlamov, what a great year for him. How far can Colorado go on his back? Uh, yeah, but he has been really bad lately. He only has two good starts in his last seven, with the majority being, like, sub-900 save percentage performances. He's been poo-poo bad. Uh, Grubauer, on the other hand, has been even worse. He's blowing, like, almost every chance he gets, including letting in five goals on 28 shots versus the Wild on Wednesday, which was terrible. Like, this is really not good for Colorado. Like, I have Grubauer in one league. Actually, Brian, it's in our joint league that, you know, so I've been like watching to see, oh, do I think he's going to get the start? So I like to search Twitter for a player and just see what people are saying about him. And like everyone that I'm seeing on like Avalanche Twitter is saying like, we got to get Fransuz up here because Grubauer and Varlamov can't cut it. So like, I don't know, like, what is happening there? Is this turning into a situation where neither goalie is worth owning in a lot of standard fantasy leagues? Like, you're just not going to be able to rely on either of them to get you wins or, like, good starts? Like, it would be especially because like, going into next week, like, a Colorado goalie is really tough to hold. Like, the Avalanche only play on Saturday next week. If you already have two other goalies, you're probably going to want to play one of them rather than Stinky, Varlamov, and Grubauer as they've been lately. So, like, what do you think? Or do you see, like, potentially is it, just like I like to ask, like, is this potentially a good buy low opportunity? Because this team has shown that they have the potential to win games. Like, they have a top line that when they're going, it doesn't even matter how bad the goalie is. They're going to win just because McKinnon and, and Ranson and Landeskog are just going to score so many goals. So, yeah, what would you do right now if you had the option to get, like, Colorado goalies or if you have Colorado goalies? What, what are we supposed to make of the situation in Colorado? Because it's really tough right now. The knee-jerk reaction to make of the situation in Colorado is to say that the abs have these huge defensive issues that are leaving their goalies exposed, but I'm not really sure that's the case. The abs defense, according to goals against per 60 minutes and expected goals against rates is pretty much middle of the pack at five on five and on the PK, not a terribly dissimilar story, but in both scenarios, the abs goalies have been letting the team down. Grubauer in particular, who is performing far below his expected save percentage at both five on five and on the penalty kill. Varlamov, to his credit, is somehow still playing at nearly exactly average NHL goalie level even after this recent run of rough starts, the Varlamov has been below average on the penalty kill. So I don't know. I'm not ready to say neither Colorado goalie is worth owning. I feel like they're both decent goalies who are struggling because of some voodoo or the other. But if I wanted to put stock in one Colorado goalie the rest of the season based on their play so far this season, it would be Pavel Francouz. But really? he probably won't. Well, no, I mean, he's not going to get the call up, but he has the best numbers of all of them. Uh, but obviously, who knows if he'd keep them up. So I would go Semyon Varlamov. I'm not writing off Grubauer. Maybe the all-star break is a good time for him to reset. But this season is really just going the opposite of last season where Grubauer didn't come out of nowhere, but he was just blowing the league away in, in goals saved above average and just crushing it. And now he finds himself on the other side of that average NHL goalie line. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Barry Trotz needs to get some credit. Like, Grubauer was great when he was playing on the Trotz team. Now he goes to Colorado, not so good. Meanwhile, Robin Leonard, you know, wasn't that good. Now look at him over in on the Islanders. So I don't know, like, uh, it's tough to say right now how good of a goalie Grubauer is now that he's away from, like, this great situation that he was in over in Washington. And one last thing I'll throw out there with Varlamov. Look at his game logs over the past few seasons. He tends to go like hot and cold right he goes on super hot runs then super cold runs so this is obviously a cold run but that does obviously leave the possibility of another hot run at some point hopefully when you need him most yeah i wouldn't be dropping varlamov 
and maybe I would even be grabbing him if he was available. I'm I'm pretty concerned about Grubauer though. Uh, since we're on Colorado, are you giving any thought to Carl Soderberg? He's got a run of eight points in his last eight games, including three multi-point games. Then he had a goal versus Minnesota. So I guess it's kind of like a hot and cold, right? He does nothing and then he gets you two points, which is fine if you have him in a weekly league. Uh, what do you think about this guy? Is he better or worse or the same as Dano, who we talked about earlier on the Habs? So let's start by comparing Soderberg and Dano's deployment. Soderberg is on the second line, second power play in Colorado. Dano is on the top line and no power play in Montreal. I think I still prefer Dano's deployment of the two. But one way Soderberg is better than Dano and better than a lot of streamers is these shots on goal. He's suddenly taking, pulling a page from Ryan Johansson's playbook, 50 games in. Carl Soderberg is only 38 shots shy of his career high 168 shots on goal. And that's especially thanks to the last six games where he's really turned it on and fired 25 pucks on net, which is outstanding considering Soderberg has historically been a guy who you can never count on for more than two shots per game on average. The danger with him if you're getting really excited about this talk of Soderbergh's shots, is like Johansson, he's still mixing in some zero and one shot games alongside these four and five shot games. So you never really know what you'll get if you're taking a one day stream, uh, like shot at him that way. But he is a good guy to look at to try and pick up some shots and by extension, hopefully some goals for Soderbergh. Uh, at the end of the day, I don't think he's any better than a 45, 50 point player, but in some leagues that makes him one of the top available streamers. Yeah. Also, one thing I like about Soderberg, at least recently, is I like that ability to get you a multi-point game. Like, I almost feel like if someone's on a nice run, you know, a typical like 45, 50 point guy that's currently on like a, you know, four game point streak where he has an assist in each of the last four games. That's like nice. But also you think like, okay, so maybe if I'm lucky, he'll get another assist. But like Soderberg, he might do nothing for you. But also he's shown he could give you like three assists or like a goal and an assist, you know, like a big game. And, and I like that. So maybe it's the type of player I am. Maybe I like to take a bit more of a risk and go for someone with potentially a higher upside on a given night. So yeah, take a look. Carl Soderberg. He's probably near the top of most people's free agent list. One of those guys where you like click on the players button on Yahoo and everyone's ranked by their season rank. And then you see Soderberg at the top. You just scroll by because his name is too boring and you want to go to someone more exciting as a potential free agent. But he sometimes does well. And that's why he's near the top of that list. And just for the record, we're being corrected. Thanks, Adam M. in the chat. Soderberg. Soderberg. Ah, oh, I should have looked that up. Dang. I trusted you, Elon. I blew it. And and we have this new site that someone recommended to us. I, I might as well call them out, even though then it's just calling out the fact that I didn't look at them. But NHLnames.com. <laughs> and you could click and it, and it plays you audio clips from games with announcers saying the player's name. And so assuming you trust that announcer, then uh, you get the player's pronunciation. But I didn't click it for Carl Soderberg because I suck. But you know who doesn't suck? Our sponsors for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. Brian, do you ever like to leave your house and buy tickets and go to a thing? Do you ever do that? Yeah, I do that occasionally. Yeah, of course you do. It's the mic. It's one of the most fun things that you can do in life. There's all these great events happening in your city, and you could go and see them. But sometimes it can be tricky. Getting tickets online can be so hard and complicated. There's so many sites and varying levels of reliability. You've got weird charges coming up right at the end, which you didn't see when you were buying the ticket. That's not the case with SeatGeek, okay? That's where they're the way to go. They pull millions of tickets into one place. You can easily find the seats you want for the price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek you closer to the action for great value they you could sort by value i also really love this thing about how you see that the price that you see is the price you're going to pay there's no like surprise prices right at the end brian i decided to take a look at the SeatGeek site as i sometimes like to do you know like i'm in toronto so i just like to see oh what's going on in toronto right now because that's also a fun way to see what's going on decide what i want to buy tickets to i thought 
for this episode, since the All-Star Game happened in San Jose, for any of our listeners who maybe went to San Jose and is sticking around there for another week, I was curious to see like what's going on there, what you can get. There's some uh, big deal stuff happening. Aziz Ansari is coming to San Jose. You could, of course, go see a Sharks game against the Coyotes. And a lot cheaper, by the way, than going to see a game in Toronto. $55 to see a game Coyotes at Sharks. That looks fun. Brian, here's a fun pop quiz for you, okay? I'm going to tell you two concerts happening in San Jose, and you tell me which one you think is going to be the more expensive one, okay? Ready? Ready. There's the Rolling Stones at Levi's Stadium. It doesn't matter where they're at. So the Rolling Stones or Ariana Grande. Which one do you think is more expensive? Rolling Stones. So wrong. Rolling Stones, $67. Ariana Grande, $243. But what's the most expensive ticket for each concert? Thank you. Next, Brian. We've got to move on. But why not? Before we do that, why don't you tell our listeners so they can get an even better deal? If you don't want to pay $243 for Ariana Grande, how about uh, if you pay only $233? Yeah, you could do that with our special Keeping Carlson listener only promo code. All you need to do is download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code KEEPING, and you'll get $10 off your very first SeatGeek purchase. Again, download the app, enter the promo code KEEPING, and enjoy $10 to spend on whatever you want. Okay, so we were talking about crappy goalies in Colorado. Let's go to some crappy goalies over in Washington because the Washington goalies seem to be falling apart as well. The team has lost seven games in a row. They've let in four or more goals in five of those seven games. Braden Holpe started the season okay, but is now down to a 905 save percentage. He's been 873 over his last nine games. Just terrible. Copley, just as bad. 888 save percentage in his last seven games. He's been no Grubauer from last year. Brian, we have Holtby. Like, we kept him in our joint league. It's only four keepers, and we kept Holtby in this league. It only cares about wins, so at least we haven't been hurt by some of these crazy save percentage games. But we also haven't been getting any wins. We actually streamed in Phoenix Copley when Holtby, like, got, you know, he got the eye injury and he went day-to-day, so we got Copley in there. Now we have both of them. At what this point, like, what do we do? Like, do we have to hold Copley just in case last year repeats itself and Holtby loses starts down the stretch? Like, at the very least, can you give me some confidence? Like, we have two Washington goalies, and we haven't gotten a win in, like, the last three weeks from either. That's two roster spots of goalies giving us absolutely nothing. So frustrating. Very curious to know what you think is going to happen moving forward. Like, Washington, by the way, plays next week uh, against Calgary and Boston on Friday and Sunday. So those are two prime games for them to get blown up yet again. Teams that score a lot of goals. Ugh. So, yeah, what do you think is going to go on with Holtby and Copley? Are, are these guys just like the Colorado guys? Uh, do you need to hold Copley as a handcuff on Holtby at this point? What's your take? So Washington is a middle-of-the-pack team in goals against per game this year, even with their goaltending struggles. But it's actually not the goalie's fault here. In Colorado, I said, you know, everybody thinks and rushes to blame the defense for the trouble that Grubauer and Varlamov are having. Where in Washington, that would be a much more apt reaction. The Capitals can thank Holtby and Copley for helping obscure the fact that the team's defensive play has earned them an expected goals against rate that's higher than 29 other teams. That means like they are expected to give up more goals against than 29 other teams on a nightly basis. The only teams offering up more expected goals against per game are Anaheim and Chicago Ottawa and Edmonton are right behind. So this is the company that the Washington Capitals are keeping at five on five this year. And it's only thanks to Holtby and Copley's play for the most part. I mean, they've had their weak spots for sure, but that uh, that they've been able to survive at five on five. On the penalty kill, though, um, the story flips. That's where Washington skaters uh, are actually doing the hard work and Holtby and Copley have been letting them down. I, I don't think 
on the whole, if you're a Braden Holt, the owner that you need to worry about his job being in danger, especially thanks to Copley also blowing it lately. But I do wonder if you are a hold the owner that you need to keep the Copley handcuff possibility in mind just to protect the you getting Washington starts until Holt B can find a way to pull away from Copley again, assuming that he can, I think he'll win the job back, but it's uh, it's, it's been a rough time, rougher than it looks. I think, especially at five on five, they're doing okay, but I would expect Braden Holtby to continue to be the starter through most of the rest of the year. Washington just needs, they really need to get it together. Defensively, they're a mess. Okay, well, yeah, I definitely like Holtby's still the starter. It's not as if Copley has stolen the job yet. I don't even think he will. So I, I think you're right there. The one thing you haven't really answered for me, though, is my main concern. Is this team bad? Like, is it, you're saying the goalie needs to bail him out. It sounds like you're saying we don't want either Washington goalie. Like, is this the same situation as Colorado? Like, obviously, they won the cup last year. We think this is supposed to be a good team. You'd think that having a Washington goalie means you're going to get a lot of wins. But like I said, no wins in their last seven. Do you see this cold streak ending soon? Or do you think this is going to continue to happen? I think they're going to be okay. Like if you are a Holt the owner and you think you can get a really great return from someone who thinks Washington is playing amazing defensively, then go ahead and get it. But the fact remains, Washington is still one of the top teams in the league. I'm not concerned about their team quality as a whole. And I know that's weird to say when I lumped them in with Anaheim, Chicago, Ottawa, and Edmonton in their defensive acumen, but I think they're probably able to overcome uh, better than any of those four other teams can, any sort of defensive deficiencies. Of course, Alex Ovechkin's a big part of that, uh, but you can decide what to do about it, right? If you want to go out and acquire Holtby and buy low, thinking this is a good time and the team will rebound, go for it. If you're a Holtby owner, though, the better move might be to take what looks like a slight downgrade at goalie and uh, and try and really pull in a few more pieces in return. Yeah, I guess I don't know like what you could even get for Holtby at this point now that he's struggling. But I guess for his name, you'll get something like I was saying about P.K. Subban before. And you think that Subban is going to be fine, I believe. And you also sounds like you're saying you think Holtby will be fine. And so I hope you're right. Okay, let's go now to another team I wanted to discuss, which is the Carolina Hurricanes. We actually had a fun back and forth with the Average Time on Ice crew over on Twitter. That's at AVG Time on Ice. Uh, They retweeted an article with a rumor from Pierre Lebrun that the Hurricanes are looking to trade one of their top D-men, which is interesting and and makes sense. Maybe they could use some more offensive punch or a goalie, of course. Uh, I responded to them. Pop quiz. Can you guess who's leading the team in points by a D-man? Because the answer is actually kind of interesting. Lewis uh, from Average Time on Ice guessed Hannafin, then realized that Hannafin's actually not on the team anymore, and then went to not Falk, not Hamilton, but to the correct answer, which is Jacob Slavin. And I responded saying, yep, like we've spent all offseason debating now that Carolina has Dougie Hamilton. Is it going to be Justin Falk or Dougie Hamilton helming the top power play and, and by doing so, you know, being the team leader in points, you would think, for a defenseman? And it turned out that it is Jacob Slavin. Like, it's just crazy how this whole Falk versus Hamilton debate has really fallen flat. And like I said, Slavin has picked up the pieces and he's been really solid. And actually, we got a tweet from at Tiberius Nero telling us, lol, Slavin is an elite defender. Any Canes fan could have told you that, but you never asked us. So I apologize uh, at Tiberius Nero, and we'll try our best. Like I'm asking right now, Canes fans, please let us know everything that we don't know about the Carolina Hurricanes because I want to get this right. And yeah, like I don't have a Canes fan on the line right now. I do have you, Brian. Like, how good is Jacob Slavin in your opinion? Like, I feel like it's known that he's a great like IRL defenseman. Like, he's really good at actually playing defense. But do you think he could continue to be offensively relevant like he's been recently? He's currently on a run of 10 points in his last 11 games, which brings him to 23 points in 50 games on the season. That's a 38-point pace, but obviously trending up over these last 11 games. 
Do you like him like better than Falk or Hamilton? Do you think that he might end the season with more points than those guys? No, I don't. I don't like him better than Falk or Hamilton. Even like a struggling Justin Falk or a struggling Dougie Hamilton. Both these guys have failed to deliver on fantasy expectations several times over the last few years. But they at least have the upside. Slavin, I don't think does. I'm actually going to zoom out. I know he's on a great run. That's been nice. But with this run, Slavin is still just on a 38-point pace, which is like maybe three or four points higher than we'd expect. And getting those extra three or four points is thanks in part to uh, Slavin having his first sustained power play role of his career this season. Slavin's averaging two minutes of power play time per game, seeing a 40% share of Carolina's blue line power play minutes and has five power play points to show for it, which surprise, surprise is already a career high for him. And that's, honestly the whole story about Jacob Slavin being an offensive producer or at least seeming more like one than usual there's some variance happening in his numbers some good and some bad and so it's essentially a wash uh continuing to get second power play unit time will be what Slavin needs to have a shot at 40 points but still a fringe own at best maybe a stream Elon you called his hits and blocks solid I think that was very generous of you. Slavin's averaging fewer than one hit a game and only about like a block and a half per game. I know in past seasons, his blocks have been a little more tantalizing, but not at the moment. Yeah, I didn't actually say that, but I know I was planning to say that, which is what you're responding to. But yeah, he's generally pretty good for your hits and blocks, even if he's not getting the points. Maybe not like, you know, he's not like a, a Borowiecki for hits. But, you know, one, one and a half per game, that's all. That's something you could depend on for like three, four a week and potentially a big game in that week in that category. But yeah, okay. Sounds like you're saying you don't think is going to keep up this like almost point per game pace that he's been putting up lately. Of course, since we're in Carolina, we need to check back in on Nino Niederreiter, who scored a couple of goals versus Edmonton while we were recording last Sunday. We were giving live updates as the show was going on well he did it again he scored two goals versus vancouver along with eight shots on wednesday before the all-star break also need has been playing on line one and power play one with aho we said he was a must add last week like mid-show when we realized he was on in that spot and doing well we said yeah go grab nino Niederreiter. right now is he like a must must add like i don't know what the next level is maybe must add we need to come up with some more levels in this hierarchy of how much you want to get this guy on your team Furland will probably be healthy when the Canes play again on Friday. Word is he's going to get traded. And obviously I'm bringing up Michael Furland because he's been the guy playing on the top line in power play with Ajo and usually Tara Vine. And I know it was Justin Williams on that line recently. But yeah, either way, it seems like Niederreiter has usurped Furland for that spot. And like I said, Furland's probably going to get traded. So it seems like there's a pretty decent chance that Nino Niederreiter could hold this spot, at least in the short term, which would be great for him. And we're seeing that he can produce there. Of course, at the same time, Carolina could easily shake things up, put someone else there. So how much should people be into Nino Niederreiter? How much of a priority should it be to get him on your team? High priority. You have to add him. He is a must, must add, a most add. I don't know what the next level is. We'll take suggestions. Anyone wants to tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. But it's a very easy peasy, need a reasy decision to add Nino to your fantasy team. Yeah, I agree. By the way, very good. Uh, next week, Carolina plays Friday, Sunday, which you might think oh, only two games, but a lot of teams only play two games. And actually, these are two games on like off days, you know, not on that busy Saturday. So you might get more games out of Anita Ryder than someone else. So if you're thinking like in a pretty shallow league, you might still want him even just for next week. And the next week, Carolina also has a good schedule. So things are looking good for people who added Nino Anita Ryder. And if you didn't do it and you still can, go ahead though. Brian, here's a question that we've gotten on the Facebook group. And I have a feeling we'll get a lot more of because there was another guy last week who we talked about and we said that you should grab him and then he did really well and that was Frank Vetrano who's been playing on the top line on Florida with Barkov and 
Evgeny Dadanov, and he was amazing in his one game last week on Monday. He had one goal and three assists versus the Sharks. Make that now nine points in his last seven games. Obviously, Vetrano is a guy you want to have on your team. But Brian, if you could only have one, who would it be? Vetrano or Niederreiter? It would be... Okay, let me talk through this. Because I can't decide just like that. Uh, let's. I'm actually thinking back when I'm thinking about Frank Vetrano or Frankie Vetrano, as he was once known. Remember when Nick Bjugstad was promoted to the top line at about this exact time last year, and then Bjugstad promptly picked up 23 points in 23 games, averaged three shots per game while he was on the top line. That's how I feel like things could play out for Vetrano, now that he's essentially doing the same thing. Bjugstad did get cold towards the end of that year, even while on line one, but whatever, right? We're not... That's like 20, 25 games away. For now, I feel like you really do need Frank Vitrano on your fantasy team. I think you can totally expect him to pull a Bug set so long as he's given the opportunity, which, well, why wouldn't he be? I do feel like in Carolina, if I'm trying to figure out if I want Vitrano or need a rider, things seem a little more fluid in their lineups. And it's too soon to really get a read on whether Nino is just taking a turn with Ajo, as so many other forwards have this year, or if Rod Brindamore sees them as a duo that's going to stick for some time. So like without knowing either of these guys' future deployment, that's going to be the answer to this question of whether you want Vetrano or Nino. Both of them are worth owning because they should each pay off pretty well for as long as they hold their current deployment and both have a shot at holding that deployment for a while. Uh, I would say add both. Like okay. you've probably got another guy you can drop. Ah, okay. So you're not you're not going to answer, but you're saying that you think that Vetrano is more likely to hold his spot in the roster? Yeah, like that's just a feeling I have because we saw it happen. Like if I'm just looking at the way both these teams have handled their depth charts recently, Florida inserted a third line player onto their top line about this time last year. He crushed it and then he disappeared again. Whereas Carolina has been just like flipping through line mates for Ajo for so long now and need, need riders just brand new to the lineup. So no, I, I don't know. That's all I'm going off of, which is not much. I'm really trying hard to pull something from this. I'm not sure an answer is there. It's like a coin flip. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that Niederreiter has going on in in his favor is he's been on the top power play, which is nice. Vetrano hasn't been there. Also, I feel like on Florida, not that I think this has necessarily happened, but don't forget that Mike Hoffman's actually been playing on the third line. So in their last game, they went with Barkov, Dadanov, and Vetrano, and then Trocek with Hubert Doe and Bjugstad, and then Hoffman with Henrik Bjorkstrom and Dennis Malgin. So if anyone is going, you know, like you'd think Mike Hoffman could get back in the top six, that's definitely something that's foreseeable. Maybe he bumps Vetrano, maybe he bumps Bjugstad. I think think the Panthers like him on the third line i think that works for them well we'll see obviously while the team's doing well they're not going to change anything same as carolina as soon as you lose a couple games in a row then things can change i agree with you it's it's too hard to say look at the schedule maybe and let that decide or like you said just try to get both of them though one reason to maybe expect florida to keep winning is that roberto luago thinks they will at least that's what the latest roto world update on him said apparently luongo said we have our confidence back that swagger and he said this after the team's last game before the break we beat three good teams we were able to play hard and get the wins so yeah 
Florida's looking good. Obviously, getting Trocek back has been a big help. And for what it's worth, I did say last week that I think Luongo will bounce back and be better in the second half of the season. And he should probably be owned. I know he's been dropped in a lot of leagues. I, you know, I'm like calling as if like I just like nailed this amazing prediction. It's been one game since that episode. But hey, Luongo played well once again. He also played well versus Toronto. Uh, we'll see. Also, by the way, James Reimer has been okay lately. He was good versus Nashville last week. So, Brian, do you concur with Roberto Luongo that the Panthers are going to be a stronger team for the final couple months of the season than they were like for the rest of the way? I've actually held Luongo all year in one league, which is maybe why like I'm biased into thinking slash hoping that he'll be able to bounce back because he's been a tough hold for stretches, but I'm really hoping that it'll pay off when it counts. Trocek in the lineup is definitely going to help a lot. He's one of the the better two-way players in the NHL, but it's going to take more than Trocek to lift the Panthers out of the hole they're in right now. They're 25th in the standings with the team they've got. Uh, They'd be worse off if their offense wasn't consistently, constantly bailing out their defense, and their defense has given up more five-on-five goals per 60 against than every NHL team outside of Ottawa this season. And Luongo has been a culprit there himself. So I don't know if he's predicting that he's going to play better the rest of the season, because if he is, I don't know that I can really trust that. I feel like, of course, he'd say that. I I see Florida as a team that probably isn't as bad as their goaltending has allowed them to look, but also probably isn't as good as half the NHL. So I'd still be pretty wary of owning Roberto Luongo. I'd love to see him turn it around, and we'll see if he's got it in him. But consider me skeptical that Florida is a whole lot better than we've seen so far. Brian, they've got swagger now, okay? (laughs) It's different. What line does swagger play on? Jack Swagger, former WWE champion. Wow, what a timely Royal, Royal Rumbles tonight. Oh, I remember Jack Swagger won the Money in the Bank. I'm not sure if he ever won the Royal Rumble. I don't I don't recall that ever happening. Uh, by the way, I brought up Lewis and our chat about the Carolina defenseman earlier. He guessed Noah Hannafin at first before realizing he's not even on the team anymore, which, you know, it's kind of hard to keep track of all these like flames and, and hurricanes. And they always like play each other and all this weird stuff. But actually, Noah Hannafin would have been a really good guess. He actually does have more points than all of the Carolina defensemen right now, believe it or not. He's got 25 points in 51 games, which would edge out Jacob Slavin and he's like doing pretty well he's actually tied for second in flames d scoring along with tj brody who's actually been on a real tear lately nine points in his last seven games capped with a two assist game versus the canes last tuesday so i guess that was maybe the confusion i think we had that conversation while the game was going on or on that day but brian okay let's talk about tj brody okay he's been getting scooped up in a lot of leagues lately of course since he's on this amazing run as the resident Brody hater, like I feel like throughout the history of Keeping Carlson, TJ Brody would go on hot runs, and then you tell everyone it's not going to last, and then you'd eventually be right. You'd pour right. that. So bucket does of that cold- mean I? Does that mean I hate him? Okay, well, I just like to throw out big, fun, hyperbole words. Like, I assume that you don't actually hate TJ Brody, but you, I feel like you would hate having him in your lineup. Like, it would irk you because you just know there's no way this guy could keep it up. But I'm curious to know, do you feel differently at this point? Like, are you seeing something different from TJ Brody? Or, like, you know how, how you gave that analogy about how with Calgary, the bus is coming, like, every 15 minutes they're scoring so many more goals than they used to. So maybe that's a reason to expect Brody to just keep on getting all of these points. Like, let's say if you could choose between Brody and Hannafin right now, and like I said, they're both tied in points now after Brody's big surge who would you rather have well get ready for this Elon because noted TJ Brody hater is about to give TJ Brody some credit here by the way do we know what TJ stands for Trevor James Tyler Johnson (laughs) Tyler Johnson Brody (laughs) yeah so he's so TJ's had a power play role with Calgary for a really long time like his entire career and this year that role for Brody has gone poof 
for very long stretches of time. Brody's on the whole averaging just 45 seconds of power play time on ice per game compared to seeing two or more minutes per game for, yeah, essentially his entire career with the Calgary Flames. But Brody has managed to hold a 40-point pace even in spite of that when I've always been like he's a 35-40 point guy with that power play time. This year so far, he's a 40-point guy without it which is really good for him. He has just three power play points so far, which puts him firmly behind his usual 10 or 11 power play point pace. But Brody's increased five on five scoring actually looks reasonably sustainable, especially yes, with how often that bus comes in Calgary, or should I say the C train uh, and how often the flames score goals. So um, to answer your question, I don't think nine points in seven games represents TJ Brody, but I think it's a break in character for me to say that I think TJ Brody can take a shot at 40 points, even with that cut in power play role. How about that? Do do you think that's too far-fetched to take? I think it's a pretty spicy one. I don't know. To say Brody's going to get 40 points when he's currently on pace for around 40 points, I think that's not too hot of a take. <laughs> but uh, I like it. I like to hear it from you. And yeah, I guess at this point, it's just like this Calgary team is scoring goals. Brody's on the ice for like at least a third of every game. So it makes sense that he's going to be able to pick up a point at least in every two of them. So I like that. I think he'll be able to at least get you a point every couple games. And as you can see, he could also go on these hot runs when the Flames are scoring like five or six times a game. Maybe he could get in on a couple of them every once in a while. Uh, okay. But you know what, Brian? Too much optimism. This is not that kind of show. We don't want to just like leave everyone feeling all happy. We want to bring people down to earth before they go into their Mondays, into their cold, hard lives in the, in the pits. I don't know what people's jobs are nowadays, but I'm assuming it has something to do with, uh, picks and uh, and coal okay uh so let's be sad and talk about some cold streaks patron joshua asked us to talk about some recent cold runs by matthews line a and Getzlaff. he's like these three guys what do i do with them they're doing nothing for me i'm going to assume that let's do the easy one first i think austin matthews will be the easiest to discuss like yeah he had a three game pointless streak recently he scored a power play goal versus washington on wednesday to break that streak at five shots in that game Toronto has been shaking up their lines lately, trying to get the offense going. And after you, actually, I think Matthews is the one who's benefited the most from that as he got Mitch Marner on his line. It was, it was Matthews with Marner and Marlowe uh, in that last game. Getting Marner is, of course, going to be a huge improvement over like Kapanen or Janssen. Like, not to say anything bad about them, but obviously you want to have Mitch Marner. Even like Nylander, I'd rather have Marner than Nylander. So it's a good, you know, Matthews is getting even some more help. Plus he's freaking Austin Matthews. Nothing to be worried about with him, right? No, no, nothing at all to be worried about. If anyone's wondering if Austin Matthews is fine, uh, like I would barely want to answer the question because that would be suggesting that something isn't fine with him right now. Uh, But he has 21 goals, 22 assists, 43 points in 35 games. I know three games is a long time to go for Matthews owners to wait for production. Maybe the rest of your team was also uh, dragging their heels and that just made it all the more frustrating to see him go quote unquote cold. But I have zero concerns about Austin Matthews and his ability to produce the rest of the way. Yeah, it was actually really fun for me. I played against Ben from the Average Time on Ice crew in the couple last week. And yeah, that he has Austin Matthews and he had like no points from him all week. And then as soon as like the next week started, then Matthews got a goal. And I was like, okay, thanks for waiting. That is fantastic. Uh, so by the way, uh, with this line shakeup, we got William Nylander landing on a line with Nazem Kadri and Connor Brown. And perhaps Kadri and Nylander getting together were what they both needed as Kadri exploded for a hat trick in this game against Washington. By the way, Washington's been letting in hat tricks like every game for the last four games, it seems. 
uh, I think three or four games. Uh, but yeah, so he had an assist and three goals for Kadri. And then Nylander contributed with three assists himself. Are you putting any stock into this one game versus the struggling Capitals and saying, okay, now finally Nylander and Kadri are back. Grab them out of free agency if they're there, because this is the start of what's going to be a happy end of the season for both of them. Or would you say it's like foolish to let one game sway one's opinion like that? And you feel the same about Nylander and Kadri before that game is after. Yeah, I'm not going to let one game change my mind. You know me better to assume that I would. And so I'll just repeat the standard line on both Nylander and Kadri is that they're both good. But if they don't get more minutes, there's only so much they can do. So if you're looking at one of the two, uh, Nylander's probably got more upwards mobility than Kadri in the depth chart, maybe even more so. I'm not sure like how uh, how how flippable a lot of the Leafs wingers are, but Andreas Janssen was concussed last Sunday, which sort of opens a spot in the top six that maybe Nylander could take, uh, at least for the duration of the injury. So uh, I would be happy to take a look at William Nylander because I think he's got a better chance of cracking the top six than Nazem Kadri. Well, yeah, but Nazem Kadri's on the top power play. So you got, you know, apples and oranges here. Maybe both are good. I like both of those fruits. Uh, one fruit that I don't really like is Jake Gardner. That didn't work. Brian, I'm not doing that well this episode with trying to be funny. So just everyone who thinks that I'm not funny, I agree with you. Okay, so we could all be on this team together. Jake Gardner, only one point in his last nine games. Is he a snoozer at this point? Like he had that great run at one, like he was like on nobody's team. Like he was doing nothing. Then he went hot and everyone grabbed him. And I feel like, like in my leagues where he was grabbed, he hasn't yet been dropped, but I feel like he probably should. I don't think I would want to add him. Or do you think he's going to have like another hot run at some point in the season? Like what's going on with Jake Gardner? He is definitely a victim of the Leafs stacking a top power play unit to the brim as opposed to running two even-ish units as they did last season. That helped Gardner be a 50-point guy last season, and it's one of the reasons why he's essentially a 40-point guy this season. And also keep in mind that Jake Gardner, 40 points don't do it for you from him. Uh, He also barely shoots, hits, or blocks. So that makes him not such a great fantasy own. He kind of reminds me uh, a lot of what we said about Charlie McAvoy recently, where if 40 points will help you, great. But if 40 points with almost no peripherals uh, doesn't help you so much, then maybe you would prefer prefer a 35-point guy who does uh, put together a few more peripherals than they do. Although if your league counts plus minus, Gardner's a plus 17. So there's that. Good for him. He's probably like very useful to the team, even if he's not producing fantasy wise. Patty's actually letting me know in the chat room here that I am funnier than I thought because Gardner, he's a gardener and like, and like gardeners like make gardens, which produce fruit. That was kind of it. Brian. Also, where were you? Like, I'm having this down moment here where I'm feeling bad about myself. That's where you have to come in and tell, no, Elon, I think you are funny. You really let me down there. But okay. Another player that's been letting people down. Uh, the next on Joshua's list here, Patrick Laine has continued to do a whole lot of nothing. Only two goals and two assists in his last 15 games. We talked about him a few weeks ago, and I recall you cited his full season numbers, which were like still good at the time. You were like, look, this guy's on pace for blah, 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 this and that. But I remember saying, like, if you take a look at his game log, 13 of his goals came in a six-game stretch. And if you take out that six-game stretch, his full season numbers look pretty terrible. Even, like, now with those six games, he's down to 34 points in 48 games. That's a 58-point pace and falling fast. Is it time for, like, this is back to my question at the beginning of the episode, I feel like. With at what point do we say that maybe it's just not this guy's season and we can't expect it to happen and, like, maybe it's time to let go? Like, do we tell people time to let go of Line A and sell him for what you can in one-year leagues? Obviously, he's going to have great keeper potential for years to come. 
But like on the other hand, maybe you'll tell me that like Ehlers is going to be coming back soon. Bufflin's going to be coming back soon. Maybe that's going to help line A. Like if Ehlers comes back, either Ehlers gets back on the line A line or like Kyle Connor gets back on that line and bumps Jack Roslovich. So you you could imagine that line is going to have some better players to play with soon. Is that going to be enough to help him break out of this slump? Like is this line A slump sustainable or fleeting? You are hilarious, Elon. Ah, I want you to know what a no. funny guy you are and what a great person. Don't ever be down on yourself. No, you can I'm play not. this clip back anytime you need it. All right? That's okay. yours forever. Oh, thank you very much. But is Patrick Line a good goal scorer? That's the real question. Well, we've Who, been watching What's Patrick- better? Is, is Line a better goal scorer or am I funnier? Which of the two do you think is, is a higher? Well, this season so far, you are definitely winning that. Although Liney's goal scoring is great, his assist getting is awful. So that's a real big compliment to your comedic talent, Elon. Uh, One thing we've watched with Patrick Liney this year is his time on ice, thinking it would skyrocket this season. This would be the year he finally gets deployed like a, a bona fide top line or at least top six forward. Um, So this season, Liney started seeing around 17 minutes per game, which is okay. Then it rose to 18 minutes per game by December, which is good. But now it's fallen down to an average of 16 and a half minutes per night in the month of January. That stinks. But Liney's production lately stinks too. And I do think a big reason could be, as you surmised, Elon, the absence of Nick Ehlers. Let's just look at Patrick Liney playing with Brian Little and Jack Roslevic. Those guys as his line mates don't do much to discourage opponents from just keying in hard on stopping Liney's shooting opportunities. And also, why would either of that, those guys take a shot if Liney's on the ice with them? So I feel like Liney needs someone else like Stasny, uh, I mean, for a brief moment, uh, Kyle Connor, Nick Ehlers, to really help open things up for him. And that's not much of an excuse for Liney because as superstar scorer shooter, we shouldn't have to say that. We shouldn't have to say that he needs another line mate to help get him going, but it would help. Or at least an elite setup man like Ovechkin had Backstrom. Why can't Liney have, I don't know, another Shifley? Backstrom? Shifley. Yeah, give him Shifley already. Um, the only other thing when I was trying to, to figure out what to expect from Patrick Liney the rest of the year that stood out to me about Liney's rough year so far is the way he produces on the power play. It's so bizarre, uh, but it's not so out of line with the rest of his totals. Liney has 11 power play goals uh, on the season. That's fantastic. He's tied for third in the NHL, but he has just two power play assists. And that shows that if Liney isn't the one scoring the power play goal, he's not pointing on it either. He has just 13 power play points on 29 power play goals that have been scored while he's on the ice. And I'm just not sure. Like usually we'd say that's a low IPP. It could change. It should change, but I can't be certain it will. Like I need to do a little bit more digging. If you happen to know anyone listening, if that's a jet systemic thing that line a gets the puck and shoots and he definitely doesn't pass, but it also means that line a shots like aren't even causing rebounds that can then be stuffed home that he would still get an assist on. So it's just a things are not going well. If line isn't scoring, no one else is helping him get points. Yeah. And also like when you're saying he's like third in the league in power play goals, like again, how many of these goals came in that one six game stretch where he had like a hat trick and then a five goal game and then a two goal game, you know, aside from that, you're not, you're not seeing many goals from Patrick Line at all. Uh, also, Brian, good job saying Jack Roslovic. I know I said Roslovic. I checked out NHLnames.com and yeah, you were right. Roslovic. Good job. By the way, Brian Little, it's funny because while Line is doing nothing, Brian Little has nine points in his last eight games and he's a center and he's a centerman. So I don't know. How do you even? 
How do you even, Brian? <laughs> I can't even. Winnipeg, by the way, great schedule next week. They've got three games uh, co- by, by Thursday, like Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, I believe, or maybe like Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. So yeah, if you want to stream someone in, maybe you go Brian Little if you can get those three games, and then you could drop them for someone on the weekend. Okay, so the last player Joshua wanted to, us to ask about, if you're a patron keeping Carlson, you get to uh, give us suggestions on who you want us to talk about on the episodes. You could be getting called out just like Joshua, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. You also get a bunch of other perks. Also, you help us out. We really appreciate it. So check that out if you want to help support the show. Okay, Brian Getzlaff. These Ducks, oh my god, it's getting pretty bad. Like you said at one point earlier in the show, only 13 shots on goal versus St. Louis in the 5-1 loss on Wednesday. Just brutal. Getzlaff actually wasn't the only person who had a good game. Like He assisted on that lone goal by Daniel Sprong. He, that actually broke a three-game pointless streak for Getzlaff. The Lions also got shuffled during that game. Getzlaff ended up spending some time with Sprong and Devin Shore, while Ricard Raquel went to a line with Henrique and Richie. But, you know, you can't imagine that those lines are going to stick when they had maybe their worst game of the season. We should also note on Anaheim, Andre Kasha, we mentioned he was injured last episode. He's gone for the season. He's going to have shoulder surgery, and that's that. So that's really too bad. But on the plus side, Corey Perry took part in Thursday or Tuesday's practice. Uh, so he might be coming back soon. So it's kind of hard to say, like, even, like, who gets us going to be playing with. But overall, we're looking at a guy with only 33 points in 45 games. Now, that's a 60-point pace. He's been at 80-plus for his point pace for most of his career, including the last couple of seasons. So where do you see Getzoff landing when it's all said and done? Does it depend like a whole bunch on who his line mates are? Or can you give us like a pretty confident answer of what you think Getzoff can do? Well, here's where we go back to that initial conversation where I was mentioning that I'm starting to think about what effect a team can have in keeping a player from regressing to their usual mean or progressing, as we say, if the player is performing worse, as we say, and the statistics people hate. You're not supposed to say that, but we say it. Um, I have all the faith in the world in Ryan Getzlaff, but I have very little faith in Randy Carlisle or what's left of Getzlaff's potential line mates, not named Ricard Raquel, who, by the way, has also been missing uh, for a chunk of the season. So I don't know. Like, I, I believe in Ryan Getzlaff. I don't believe in the Ducks. One place where a lack of firepower is glaringly obvious in Anaheim is on their power play, which is seeing fewer than 7% of their shots find twine. That's an on-ice shooting percentage that would be concerning at 5-on-5. Five five. So it is downright frightening to see it on the power play. And it's a big reason why Getzlaff has a very uncharacteristic five power play points through 45 games when normally we'd expect him to be around double that mark, closer to 10 power play points. And that would have helped him get up to a 70-point pace. And then if Anaheim can figure out a way to generate more than 13 shots on Golden a night, then uh, maybe that can make up the rest to get Getzlaff right back up near point per game again. But that seems like a big ask right now. So I think thinking, uh, tempering your expectations around 70-point pace for Getzlaff would be a reasonable thing to do with upside for point per game. Still, I still think he's got it. I actually just bought low on him in one league. Um, We'll see if it bites me. Decent chance that it will. I bought low on Raquel also, and that has not paid off for me. So uh, we'll see what the future brings. I'm a little nervous. Yeah, uh, we got K-Town City here in the chat room with his hot take. He thinks Heedle is better than Raquel rest of season, which is wild. And so definitely a Rangers fan. He's very excited about Hayes coming back soon. And yeah, Hayes was on that amazing run. Kevin Hayes, of course, like a great run before he got injured. But we're not on Rangers talk now. We're on Ducks talk. And yeah, 
all these guys are disappointing. Like I'm still holding out faith for Raquel and Getzlaff, but definitely as the games go by, I'd love to see a coaching change at this point. Like you said, like the, something needs to change for sure. I did say Corey Perry's coming back. Actually, after that Perry practice news came out, his percentage ownership on Yahoo surged up to 27%. He's like the most added player lately. Are you expecting anything from Corey Perry on his return? Like I know he's older, but at the same time, maybe he's worth a stash at least right now. So you can have him in your IR and then you could, you know, leave him there for a couple games, see how things are looking, see where he's slotting into the lineup. Like if he's playing with Getzlaff and Raquel, that's a pretty good spot. For what it's worth, like I don't know how much stock he put into something like this, but Perry's been saying in interviews that he expects his knee to be like stronger than ever. He's saying like his knee has been bothering him for the last few seasons. That's maybe a reason why he hasn't been as good, but now he's finally like getting it right and his knee's going to be super strong. It's going to be like a brand new Corey Perry. Do you think that that's possible or is it just like, you know, he's hoping, but probably he's still just going to be old, slow Corey Perry. I'm sort of really intrigued by this thing about how he's been playing with this torn or strained or whatever MCL for seven years or whatever. And this is going to be the first time where he's completely healthy. I don't know what took so long to get to this point, uh, but I'm very interested to see what he can do. I mean, there's going to be a mix of being apparently perfectly healthy and also shaking off a lot of rust. Corey Perry is not a young guy. I don't think he's somebody who can just join an NHL lineup and instantly uh, start producing. But that's sort of what Anaheim needs him to do. The Ducks need offense. And so you have to think that Corey Perry is going to get an opportunity to have a starring role, um, a 60-point pace, from Corey Perry is what I'd hope for in the best case scenario with no variance. But that's, uh, I don't know. It, it seems high when I say it out loud, but if he really is healthy and has this brand new leg that he's been playing through injury for so long, then I, that, that helps me think it's possible. Yeah. I like the move when you have, if you, if your league allows it, Stash him in IR right now. Adam, you know, if you're already going to win this week, let's say, or going to lose this week, and so you don't need to use all your moves to really try to nickel and dime every single move to get those extra points, grab Corey Perry, put him in your IR, and see what happens, right? You don't have to activate him right away. Uh, let's go to San Jose now. Timo Meyer is back on the hot list. He picked up a goal and four assists in his last three games after a bit of a cold stretch. He had one assist in four games. So a very short cold stretch, but we did have a question from patron Teddy asking if Timo Meyer is a safe bet for 70 and will he hit 80 points? So so I'll dig into these numbers a little bit for you, Brian. He's So Meyer's currently at 46 points in 49 games. That's a 77-point pace. To not hit 70 points, he'd need to do worse than 24 points in his final 33 games, which would be a 60-point pace. So I feel like calling him a safe bet for 70 points is fair. If you think he's going to put up a 60-point pace rest of the way, he's going to end up with 70 points. But I don't think I'm willing to say he'll hit 80, which means like, you know, it's maybe it's like bad strategy for me as a podcaster because we totally called Timo Meyer to have a strong season back before it started. So why should I go now and be like anti-Meyer and say, I don't think he's going to hit 80. And then now everyone's going to remember me just like how people know you as a TJ Brody hater. I don't want them to think I'm a Timo Meyer hater. I think he's really good, but I think it's going to be hard for me to peg a non-top power play guy to get 80 points. Like, and plus, for him to get 80 points, he'd have to pace better than he's done so far. Like, I just don't see it happening. I like him hitting 70, putting up around 60, 65 point pace rest of the way. Do you concur? I concur. I don't think it's anti-Timo Meyer to say that he's not going to get to 80 points. Right now, Timo Meyer is on pace to have 10 power play points, which is a perfectly reasonable and respectable number from the second unit. But 10 power play points is not enough to get you 80 points. Elon, there are only three players in NHL history who have ever picked up 80 points total without scoring more than 10 power play points to get there. 
And you've got to go way back to find them. You got to go back to 1977, 1978, when Jean Rattel and Peter McNabb did it as teammates in Boston. And then another Bruin named Herb Kane did it in 1943, 1944. These are the only guys to hit 80 points without getting more than 10 power play points, which is what Timo Meyer is currently projected for. In fact, even if Meyer got to 70 points with only 10 power play points, he'd be just the second NHLer to do even that in the last 30 years. The only other one who did it, 23-year-old Bobby Ryan in Anaheim back in 2010-11. So this is all to say the players who get 80 or more points generally need the power play time to get there. And if they don't need the power play time to get there, like if they're just amazing players, like Connor McDavid would probably get there without the power play time. But those guys are fixtures on the top power play unit anyway. Meyer's not quite that level of talented. So I'm curious to see just how high he can go and if he can be the first since Bobby Ryan and the second player in 30 years to get to 70 points with only 10 power play points. Uh, I like his chances, but 80 points seems a, a goal too far to reach. So Timo Meyer is no Jean Rattel or Peter McNabb, it sounds like you're saying. <laughs> or even a Herb Kane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you think now, if he's listening to this episode, and now if Timo Meyer all of a sudden gets the opportunity to play on the top power play, he'll like tell his coach, you know, I, I don't really want it. Like, I'm actually on track to break this record. I don't, like, don't ruin this for me. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't look it up for anyone who had 11 power play points if they got to 80 points. So that, someone else can look that up. NHL.com, by the way, decent search engine for that. Way to go. Oh, way to do something right. They, they got it. Okay, uh, there's actually another guy on the Sharks who's getting a ton of points without a lot of power play points. That's Evander Kane. He's been on fire lately. 20 points in his last 15 games. He brings the shots. He brings the hits. Like, what a stud to have in your fantasy lineup. He had that slow stretch through November. So anyone who, like, added him or traded for him is, like, loving life big time right now. You killed it. And anyone who dropped him, you are not liking yourself right now. Uh, so Kane has been playing with Hurdle and Donskoy. Meyer's been playing with Pavelski and Couture. Here's a tough question for you, Brian. Who do you like rest of season, Kane or Timo Meyer? And then maybe, I also let me know, is that a tougher question than Nino Niederreiter versus Frank Vetrano, or is it easier for you? I think I'm going to say Evander Kane. His numbers look a touch more sustainable, and he's also got 30 more shots than Meyer. So I'm going to use that as a tiebreaker, assuming your, your league will value those shots. It's really incredible, though, that San Jose has Evander Kane and Timo Meyer, neither one cracks the top power play. Talk about an embarrassment of riches for the Sharks. As to your other question about which decision is harder, this isn't a fantasy answering questions podcast. That's not a fantasy hockey question. Which decision is harder between Kane and Meyer or Nita Ryder and Vitorano? And I only answer those fantasy hockey questions okay because next i was going to ask you uh like about comparing two other pairs of player questions and seeing which is harder between those two we could keep going up the levels well, who fun, do you huh? think would okay i think it's easier to pick evander kane over timo meyer yeah okay i'll go with you there i guess it's, about, <laughs> it's easier to say like if your league counts shots and hits then go with evander kane over timo meyer that's easier than nina Ryder versus vetrano uh okay if you're in a deep league by the way especially one that focuses on points mainly and does it you don't have to worry about other peripherals it may be worth taking a look at joe thornton he's actually on a three-game point streak has seven points in his last nine games playing on the third line like he's not getting great deployment though he does get top power play time every once in a while obviously not the producer he used to be but i think he could be a decent stream on a week where san jose has a good schedule which isn't 
isn't next week, by the way. They only play on Saturday. But just just remember, Joe Thornton is still in the league. And if like you're in a league that just counts points straight up, he's a decent chance to get you an assist on any given night. Uh, speaking of the older generation, things not looking very good for Ilya Kovalchuk. He's bumped. He's been bumped back to the third line on LA, playing with Kempe and Haglin on, in the last game. Only five points in his last eight games. Which actually, you could say it another way. He's got five points in his last eight games, Kovalchuk. So that's not so bad, not so terrible. But I think I'm ready to say, like, you could let Kovalchuk go, especially with the Kings only playing Saturday next week. Like, I'm not holding Kovalchuk all throughout the week to probably be on my bench on Saturday if he's going to be on the third line. Like, I liked him when he got that chance back with Kopitar. He couldn't hold it. So probably that was, like, it. Like, maybe he'll get back there again. But now we can't assume he'll be able to hold that spot. Maybe take a look at Alex Ayafalo again if he starts doing something. At this point, I'd rather just stream in. Like, if I have Kovalchuk, I'd drop him for, like, a Konechny or Gudas or Tanev or Little. Like, one of these guys, like I was saying, that's playing, like, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday next week. Then you could find someone else after that. The news is a lot brighter, though, for Jeff Carter, another 30-plus aged guy who... But this guy is doing well. He's closer to Joe Thornton, or even better than Joe Thornton, actually. He had an assist versus St. Louis on Monday to bring him to six points in his last five games. Carter has been cold for most of the season, but was producing at above a 65-point pace for each of the last three seasons. This has been a huge dip for him this year. So perhaps now's the time to jump on the Jeff Carter train if he's still available in free agency. Or if not now, like wait until Sunday and then get his schedule for next week. Like I said, LA only plays, you know, once this week. So maybe you don't need to jump on Jeff Carter right now. But the following week, he plays Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So you might want to grab him then. Like, But in general, what are you expecting from Jeff Carter from the rest of the season? Do you think that we've seen what we've seen lately is the indication that he's about to turn things around and be the 60 plus point guy that we expected him to be going into the year? I'd love to say that. I think it's a little hard to say that with L.A. just not really looking so good offensively this year. One thing that would make me feel more comfortable saying, yeah, Jeff Carter, uh, 60, 65 point Jeff Carter is back would be if uh, he was shooting the puck the way he once did. We noticed earlier this season that Jeff Carter was not taking shots as often as even just the season before and wondered if that was just a weird early season quirk and would get corrected. And the answer as of Jeff Carter's 49th game is that no, it has not been corrected. Carter is still averaging just two and a half shots per game, which is still okay, but it's much more average NHLer than the above three shots per game that we'd gotten used to seeing from him. Still makes a decent buy low candidate. Uh, all markers of variance are selling short of his uh, selling short his performance to date. But again, consider that there may be some bigger team issues playing a role in that. Los Angeles is not a place where a lot of goals can be expected these days. So you've got to build that into your expectations for Jeff Carter. It's hard to think like sixty seems hard for him to reach, especially if he's giving himself a cut in his shots on goal. Right. Yeah. But hey. Good run lately. Let's see who, how long it could last. I would be thinking of grabbing him for the following week if I could get him out of free agency. Like, why not? There's probably not someone with higher upside than Jeff Carter available to you in free agency. Though, Brian, I want to keep this run of age 30-plus centers going. Let's applaud Paul Stasny, who is my favorite of all these guys. He's, he's on a five-game point streak with seven points in that span. He's up to 18 points in 22 games on the season, and he was actually pointless in his first four games. So take out those four games, 18 points in his last 18 games. Hachi Machi, way to go, Paul Stasny. Now, of course, the question is, do you think he can keep this up? I love who he's playing with. He's playing with the equally hot Alex Tuck and Max Pacioretty, who are almost for sure taken in all leagues. And also, Stasny's playing around 50% of the power play time. Like, Vegas is going with those two power play units. He's playing with Tuck and Pacioretty, just like an even strength in them with Schmidt and Theodore. 
can you believe, Brian? Like, I'm saying that Alex Tuck and Pacioretty are owned in all leagues. I was actually able to add Paul Stasny as a free agent in the cuckuffle of the super competitive league. I grabbed him out of free agency twice over the past couple of weeks. I added him. Then I dropped him because Vegas had a bad schedule. On, like, it was like just Tuesday and Thursday a couple of weeks ago. And then I grabbed him back at the end of this week. And now I think I got, I feel like I'm going to maybe hold this guy for the rest of the season. Like, I'm very excited about Paul Stasny. Am I too high on Stasny? Like, what do you think about this guy? I just feel like he's doing great right now. He's in a great spot, and maybe he can keep it going. Point per game, Paul Stasny. Las Vegas, Paul Stasny is shooting more than St. Louis, Paul Stasny, or Winnipeg, Paul Stasny, or even Colorado, Paul Stasny ever did, which is really exciting. This is the closest Stasny has looked to his Colorado days in terms of shot generation since leaving for St. Louis five years ago. That's when he first left Colorado. And I'm actually really liking what I'm seeing all around from Stasny, especially that he's on a 67-point pace with seemingly sustainable numbers and only a single power play point. So give Stasny his due on the power play, and you're looking at a 70-plus point player who may just be sitting there in free agency as people remember the complimentary roles that he was asked to play for years as a St. Louis Blue. There is no reason Stasny should be a free agent in anyone's league Congratulations to anybody who's already snapped him up, Elon. I, I, I remember, like you asked me if you should add him. I was a little hesitant, a little ambivalent towards him. I wanted to see more, but you jumped on him, and uh, I don't think you're going to drop him the rest of the season. Yeah, the only thing is now I have five centers, which is a lot for that league. So I'm going to have to figure that out. But I feel like it's a nice problem to have to have five awesome centers, right? But that's obviously a tough thing in fantasy. Same with someone like Jeff Carter, right? We're talking about these centers, which is the easiest spot to fill. Sometimes you see good centers in free agency. But I feel like Paul Stasny at this point needs to be owned in pretty much all formats. And hey, okay, too much happiness again. Uh, maybe as the clock struck midnight on Brandon Peary, he's now pointless in three games. I know you'll say oh, it's just three games, but hey, he started like he goes getting a point in every single game, but his first, but one in his first 11 games with Vegas. He was always getting points. Now it's pointless in three. So obviously, that's not something that's going to continue. He's not going to continue being pointless forever, but also he wasn't going to continue getting points every single game. So I'm curious to know where you're going to land right now on Brandon Peary because the shine is definitely off. Like obviously, you could have like sold him for like super high back when he was on this run. But still, he's playing on the top line with Carlson and Marsha, so that's where he's been lately. But as we've been saying all along, it's only a matter of time before Riley Smith finally comes back. Maybe he'll even be back next week when Vegas plays again, and something's going to have to change. Maybe Peary goes down to the third line. Maybe they shake it up to have more of a top nine. Like, So, Brian, would you be concerned as a Peary owner at this point if you had him? Is he the type of guy you'd consider dropping? Or did this amazing run that he had before give you enough confidence that he'll be fine Vegas plays Friday and Saturday of this week and then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday next week. So like all super busy days, many of whom we won't have room to play all of your forwards. So maybe Peary will be a tough guy to hold over this run. So I'm curious to know, like, am I being crazy to be too impatient and suggest letting go of Brandon Peary? Like, yeah, what's your take on him at this point? I want Brandon Peary to shoot again. That's my take on him. He has just six shots in his last three games when he had 18 shots in the three games before that. Like, I think Brandon Peary has probably got some goal-scoring talent, but also, as you mentioned, once Riley Smith is healthy, it's hard to imagine how Peary can get any kind of deployment that supports him scoring goals. So, yeah, if I'm a Brandon Peary owner, I'm scanning the free agent wire constantly to make sure there's not someone I might miss out on while sitting too long on Peary in case, uh, you know, just hoping that he's going to get chances to score. I think you should be actively looking 
to swap Brandon Peary out. Of course, there's some upside there, so you don't want to just swap him out for nobody. But if there's anybody at least even a little tempting, I think you try and make a move. Or if you can catch someone who's really not paying attention, try and sell high. Yeah, okay. Bummer. But watch him now, like, go on another run of points in five straight games. We don't know for sure when Riley Smith will be back. But yeah, it's funny to see how, like, your opinion of a player can change just by, like, a few games. Like, when Peary was getting points every game, it was so hard to not just salivate over the upside for this guy. Now you see pointless in three. It's like, eh. I don't know. I guess like, how good could he really be? Which is what we really maybe should have been saying before. Uh, over in Arizona, Oliver Ekman Larson is day-to-day with a lower body injury. He'll apparently be reevaluated after the break. So I guess we don't know how long he'll be out, if it's going to be a short-term or long-term thing. If it's a long-term thing, that would suck, right? Like that would really suck for Oliver Ekman Larson, who's actually on a three-game point streak and was, you know, heating up before he got hurt with uh, versus the Sens. But also be really a tough break for the Coyotes, who have been on this like great run lately. Even like they got this news that Ronta's going to be out for the season, and still they've been able to figure out how to start winning games. I was saying that I think this team could be like a really nice surprise in the second half, just like they were last year. And if Oliver Ekman Larson is out, then obviously I would lose a lot of confidence in Arizona being able to keep winning those games. Brian, I assume that if Oliver Ekman Larson is out that will give you even more confidence in your uh, hot take or your opinion that Darcy Kemper is going to implode any game now I've been saying I like Kemper I think he'll be fine you've been saying it's just a matter of time I kind of have to start leaning to agree with you if they're not going to have OEL in the lineup right and without OEL in the lineup you just wonder like someone's going to need to step up and take big minutes. And you're wondering who that's going to be. Elon, I know this is where you're going, but I'm just going to jump ahead and say, I think Jacob Shikrin is probably going to be someone who gets a, a big look, uh, He's taking about three shots per game already, so he can step into OEL's shoes that way. And he also picks up at least a hit and a block each night on top of that. So consider adding him in your league if uh, if, if you're an OEL owner or if you just need a defenseman and it's a reasonably deep league where you're rostering like four or more guys. Okay, but uh, I'm still going to say to hold on to Darcy Kemper. Like, he's still on a good run. So I wouldn't... I know, Brian, you would sell people, get rid of Darcy Kemper, the Coyotes. He's, he sucks anyways, right? Well, that's not... You You just... You want me to say that. You want me <laughs> to, to fulfill your narrative. But I'm not going to. I, I'm going to repeat, though, that, yeah, I'm not terribly fond of Arizona or Darcy Kemper, and especially not so without Oliver Ekman Larson in the lineup. Yeah, fair. Another guy, though, to watch, if it's not Jacob Chikrin, Alex Goligoski is actually the one who saw the most power play time on Wednesday versus the Habs. Uh, Goligoski actually saw five plus minutes on the power play and actually played over 23 minutes, which were both among the highest of the season for him. He didn't get a point, but he did take five shots and he blocked three shots. So, yeah, maybe Goligoski is a guy to look at if he's available in your free agency. Or you could go with Jacob Chikrin, who had been actually playing on the top power play with OEL. They were going three forwards, two defensemen. But then in that game against Montreal on Wednesday, they decided to go just four forwards, one defenseman, and Jacob Chikrin, you know, pulled the short straw and didn't get that much power play time. So, yeah, watch either of those guys if OEL's out long term. Brian, okay, at this point of the season, who would you say is your front runner? If we had to give awards right now, bounce back of the year. So, someone who used to be great, then was bad last year, but is great again this year. Who's your pick for bounce back of the year at this point? Let's hear yours first. Okay, I would say, okay, I, I was going to throw out there maybe like the obvious picks are Mark Giordano. You know, he sort of had started to slow down on this year. He's been amazing. Zach Parise is a name that I'm really excited about. I actually have the name that you know I'm about to bring up as maybe a dark horse because people wouldn't think that this guy is a bounce back. But do you have any other names or do you want me to just get to it? 
Parise was the first guy who came to my mind. I'm very curious to know who the last guy on your list is. <laughs> yeah, okay. So do you think that Patrick Kane can qualify? Like, he obviously wasn't terrible last year, but he still fell to only 75 points. And if you recall, he got 106 points in that Art Ross year, 2015-16. Then he fell to 89 the next season, and then 75 the season after that. So he's been on this downward trend. And I recall like we were talking about Patrick Kane in the Almanac. Ooh, Patty St. Carey Price in the, uh, yeah, if Price could keep this up the rest of the season, that'd be great. I don't want to call him a bounce back winner yet, just because he wasn't that great for a lot of the season. But okay, Patrick Kane, we, when we did our Almanac leading into the season, the world's first ever NHL audio Almanac, we were trying to project Patrick Kane. And I recall asking you like, so who's the real Patrick Kane? Is he like only a 75 point guy now? Is he going to be back to an 80? 89 point guy like no chance he gets back to that 106 right and i think we landed somewhere in the middle probably around like 90 points but like not only has he been closer to that 106 point pace from a couple seasons ago when he won the art ross like he's crushed not crushing it but he's like doing much much better he's currently on pace for 116 points on the year he has 71 points in 50 games he's actually like four points away from his total last year with 32 games to go. And he's like hotter now than ever. He's got 32 points in his last 15 games. He's averaging like over two points per game over this past month. Unbelievable. Do you see Patrick Kane passing that 106 and setting a career high this season? Yeah, I do. He only needs 35 points in his last 32 games to tie that career high. So that certainly seems doable to to pop in a 36th point, even on as offensive poor a team that Chicago is. Patrick Kane is showing that he doesn't need anybody's help, especially on the power play. That's where the magic is really happening for Patrick Kane. He's shooting more, he's scoring more, and he's seeing his teammates score more often too. He's actually already up to 23 power play points, which exceeds last year's total, full season total by two points, and equals the year before's. So all things working really well for Patrick Kane, both at five on five uh, and on the power play, but especially on the power play. And it does look like he is poised, yes, to break his career total number, uh, yeah. career high point production. Yeah, and he could still win the Art Ross. It's going to be harder to win the Art Ross this year than that year because you've got the McDavid's and the McKinnons and the Kucherovs pacing for even higher. But still, like Kane's right there in the mix. It's possible if he keeps up this pace that he's going, he might be right in that Art Ross race. Might be a little dark horse for that. Uh, of course, when you're talking about such an amazing player, you want to know who he's playing with, who's benefiting. The lines have actually been shifting around in Chicago. Dylan Strome had been playing with Patrick Kane a lot recently, but he was shifted away in the last game, at least, to play with Dominic Cahoon and Alex Debrinkit. Uh, on Tuesday's game versus the Islanders, Patrick Kane was on a line with Jonathan Taves and Drake Kajula, who I don't even know if a lot of people realize this guy is on Chicago. He was traded from the Oilers a little while back. Uh, nothing from Kajula yet on this line. Uh, Dylan Strome is actually on another great hustle. He's got seven points in his last four games, four of those points coming on the power plays. So yeah, Dylan Strome, even if he's away from Patrick Kane at even strength, he's definitely benefiting from playing on that top power play unit, which has Taves and Kane and Debrinkit and him, and of course, Eric Gustafsson, who we'll talk about in a little bit. So Dylan Strome still in a really good spot, even not playing with Patrick Kane at even strength, and who knows when he gets back to play with him. How does Strome compare to you, to, to our Niederreiters and Vitranos of the world? Is he in the same spot, or do you feel like Niederreiter and Toronto or guys you'd want a lot more than Dylan Strome. Yeah, it's a ladder. I'd much rather need a rider in Vitrano than Dylan Strome because we've seen Dylan Strome in this spot for a while. And like he's had a surprising amount of multi-point games in his last 13 games. He's had six 
multi-point outings. So if you've owned him for those, he's been really helpful. There have been some zeros in between them. I'm just not sure I can trust the consistency, but he is in a good spot in the lineup. I just, uh, I think I have a little less faith in his own personal ability than I do compared to Vitrano and Nita Ryder. Yeah, Strom's also earlier in his career, so more likely to maybe go cold, be a little more inconsistent at this point. Uh, I brought up Eric Gustafsson. He's actually cooled off. He had that amazing eight-game point streak. Now he has just one point in his last four games, but he's still on that top power play. And like, you know, as I've been saying, Dylan Strom's been getting all these power play points. So clearly Gustafsson's been on the ice for power play goals, just not getting in on them. So I'm going to suggest that people don't worry about it and still happily hold Eric Gustafsson. Do you agree with that? Or do you think there's something wrong? Yeah, don't be scared off by one point in four games. Like, if you can get half a point per game out of Eric Gustafsson, you should be very happy with that, especially considering your acquisition cost for him, or at least what I assume to be your acquisition cost. So don't get too down on him. One point in four games is perfectly normal. It's like Austin Matthews going pointless in three games. Yeah, I actually made a trade for us, Brian, in our joint league. I sent, we need, we like had a glut of defensemen. We didn't need so many defensemen. And we have Oscar Clefbaum coming back soon. And we picked up Darnell Nurse when Clefbaum was injured. And uh, I sent Nurse and Gustafsson for Sam Reinhardt, who was like a multi-position guy who was helpful for us. So we'll see how that works out. Maybe I'll regret losing Gustafsson. But, you know, we had too many defensemen anyways. And I was glad to get what I could get for him. But I do agree that I think he's still a good guy that I would like to own at least a half point per game rest of the way. Brian, we still have some time here. I got three more players if we want to do a quick lightning round. What do you think? Okay, let's do it. But I will. I'll answer your question late about the, the player who like had a dip last season, who was previously good and is now good again. Uh, Ryan Johansson, we mentioned him earlier in the show. If you remember, uh, he had just 54 points in 79 games last year. He is 11 points away from getting back above that mark with 32 games to go. And uh, the other guy that I'll bring up is Max Pacioretty, right? He had a terrible season last year, 37 points in 64 games. Uh, So far, uh, I mean, he had an awful first 14 games. They went very poorly. But if I conveniently start to count his points from November 14th till today, He's over a point per game, 13 goals, 13 assists for 26 points in 25 games. So if you bought low on him, good job. That second line in Vegas, what magic they're making. Tux, Dasney, and Pacioretty has to be one of the best second lines in the league. Uh, You can't say that about their first line, but it's a pretty great thing to have that second line as your weapon. Yeah, and like I still like Vegas to do something this year for sure because they still have this top line. Once Riley Smith comes back, you have that great first line from last year, and now this really strong second line, like two good power play units. Like, like Mark Andre Fleury is probably a Vesna candidate this year. Like everything's going well in Vegas right now, and yeah, that's actually a really good pick. Probably someone like Pacioretty or Parise is better for bounce back of the year than Patrick Kane, just because both of those guys were like we wondered if they'd even still be relevant. Pacioretty, well, Pacioretty did sign this big contract. Like we did think that he would be good. They Okay, so I'm going to say Zach Parisi is the winner or, or Giordano. But okay, let's go to the lightning round. Let's go to the Rangers quickly. Matt Zuccarello has nine points in his last five games. He's been on the top line in power play. He was really cold before this run. Now he is on fire. Kevin Hayes, though, is coming back soon. Also, there's going to be some trades happening anytime now. It's, it's fun that the trade deadline is actually finally approaching because I feel like all season long, it's been like, oh, the Rangers, don't forget, they're going to make trades. The Sens, are they going to make trades? I'm, fi- I'm excited for this to actually finally happen so we can see how things look on these teams after the trade deadline. But yeah, what's your take on Matt Zuccarello right now in this amazing hot streak that he's on. Matt Zuccarello is a guy whose career numbers I always have to look up because I can never remember if he's always been very good and underappreciated or never been that good and just overrated. I feel like he's either 
he's generally forgotten by a lot of people and nobody knows what to make of him. And when you do look at his numbers, they end up telling the story of somebody who has been pretty good and underappreciated throughout his career, though Zuccarello's last season and a half has not been so much fun seeing him stuck at a 55 point pace instead of the 60 to 65 points that we'd much rather see from him. Uh, You look at the full picture, I think 55 points is probably about where Zuccarello belongs, even with this hot streak. So if you can sell him for anything more than that, I suggest you go right on ahead. Okay, and what about like this idea that he might go to another team? It's probably going to be a worse situation, right? Like right now, if he's playing top line, top power play, maybe he goes to a deep playoff team where they don't have as plumb a role for him playing with Mika Zibanejad. Yeah, and we've seen him get shuffled around the lineup too in New York. So even if he doesn't get traded, you know, I don't love making trades or predictions based on trade speculation, but uh, I don't even know if he stays in New York, if he'll hang on that top line for very long. So long as he's playing with Mika Zibanejad, I'm happy to have him. Yeah, for sure. I actually, so my new thing is I think generally when a player gets traded at the trade deadline, I think they're going to be worse. Like I think like the player is going to get huge hype. Everyone's going to add that player out of free agency if they're available. And I think they're going to end up disappointing. That didn't happen last year with Paul Stasny. He actually got a lot better when he got to Winnipeg. But I feel like generally the players go to a worse situation. Obviously we'll do an amazing emergency episode when the trade deadline passes and cover like all the meaningful trades. And we'll do our best to give our instant takes and then also come back. We got a whole fun rest of the season coming. Okay, we're in a lightning round here. What am I doing? Evan Rodriguez on Buffalo has a goal in three straight games for the Sabres, and they actually have a good schedule next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Do you think Rodriguez is someone worth streaming? Any chance he could keep this up? He's playing with, like, Pominville and Sabatka. Remember Pominville? Remember there was a stretch this season where Jason Pominville was, like, super relevant and worth owning in a lot of leagues, like also Connor Sherry? But uh, now neither of those guys are on anyone's uh, tongue or, like, no one cares about them. But Evan Rodriguez is on this nice run. He's also on the second power play, which, like, I even, like, dare you to try to guess who are the other people on this Buffalo second power play. But, yeah, like I said, good schedule. Any interest in Evan Rodriguez for a stream? Well, now I want to guess. Is Zemgis Gergensen's on there? No, it's uh, so for the listeners at home who are playing along, uh, the second power play on Buffalo lately has been Casey Middlestat, Kyle Ocposo, Evan Rodriguez, Tage Thompson, and on defense, Lawrence Pilot. So there you go. Fun uh, dinner party conversation that you can make with your friends. And they played like, what, five seconds out of a two minute power play on like they were ba- they barely touched the ice. In the last game, and for good reason, when you've got Eichel, Skinner, Reinhardt, Ristolainen, and Darlene that you can run instead. Oh, uh, Evan Rodriguez, you wanted to know what, what I thought of him? Well, uh, he scored on his only shot for two of his last three games, and then he decided to take six shots the next one, which was a better idea, still rewarded with one goal for it. Uh, I'm not buying into Evan Rodriguez, though. He's actually seeing like 90 seconds more of ice per game this year, but performing worse offensively so no i have no interest in evan rodriguez but thanks for asking (laughs) okay so like is there any saber that's not on that top power play that's even worth looking at as a stream this week probably not right like evan rodriguez would probably be the top one yeah that's it if there's like if the top power play is gone unless you want peripherals from their defense uh that's probably all you want to consider i guess kyle Lockposo has four points in his last nine games which is probably not good enough to to deserve getting streamed into your lineup. 
Right. Well, hey, if they play three games before Saturday, maybe Ocpost will give you at least one point, maybe two points. But yeah, maybe like a Zach Bogosian is more the way you want to go. Like you said, try to get those peripherals. Uh, last player I want to bring up. Have you noticed, Brian, Mike Green is not seeing top power play time on the Red Wings lately. He's been at less than 50% of his team's power play time in seven of Detroit's last eight games. He actually only has three points in that stretch. So Mike Green, you know, we were excited about him coming back from injury, assuming he was going to play with Larkin, at least on the power play. It's not happening. It's been Nicholas Cronwall stealing that top power play spot, as he always seems to do. He's, of course, not doing anything with it, but he's there taking that spot away from Mike Green. And then meanwhile, there's actually a third defenseman in the picture who's doing better than both of them. This is like uh, Carolina Slavin doing better than Falcon Hamilton situation. It's been Philip Peronik who's producing from the blue line on Detroit. He has six points in his last seven games. He's actually been playing on the second power play with Mike Green. So Brian, like, what do people do if they're Mike Green owners? Is it time to let him go? If he's not going to be playing on the top power play, would you maybe swap him with Philip Heronik? Also, who the heck is Philip Heronik? I've never even heard of this guy. And now all of a sudden he's getting all these points. Well, first off, Mike Green off the top power play for Nicholas Cronwall. I cannot roll my eyes hard enough at this. Nicholas Cronwall is going to haunt that top power play forever. He's going to retire. And the Red Wings are just going to play with four guys on the ice in honor of Cronwall. And the effect will be about the same as actually having him there. Stop putting Nicholas Cronwell on your top unit, especially when you have Mike Green. Please. Especially when I have Mike Green on my fantasy teams. It's really annoying. I'd be okay with it if you tried Philip Hronick, who is pointing on two-thirds of all the goals scored while he's on the ice, six of the last nine during this run that he's on that's lasted a couple weeks. I'm not dropping Mike Green for him, but I am watching Hronick with curiosity he's 21 years old former second rounder from back in 2016 he was picked 53rd overall and he has this offensive pedigree for sure he had 18 points in 22 games for grand rapids of the ahl this season before being called up and last season his first as a pro in the ahl he had 39 points in 67 games from the blue line so i see heronic as someone who could eventually take the top power play job in Detroit, but think for now it's still Mike Green's to lose? Or who am I kidding? It's Nicholas Cronwell's job to have forever in perpetuity. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. This Nicholas Cronwell thing is really funny. It's like when TJ Brody was on that top power play in Calgary when they had like Hamilton and Giordano on the second <laughs> unit. It's like, why? Why are you doing this? <laughs> okay, well... Even Chalowski. Oh, yeah. What happened to that guy? <laughs> I remember when Mike Green got injured, I added Chalowski at some point, and he was like the most disappointing ad I've ever had. Like, it was like <laughs> 0.0 shots, 0 blocks, 0. It was like, it's like he wasn't even there. And then I would look on Frozen Tools and see he got like 90% of the power play time. I'm like, ah, well, well, well done, Chalowski. Okay, so this team, maybe you don't want any of their defensemen right now. Mike Green, disappointing. Sorry, Brian. Anyways, hey, you should just be happy that he's not injured, right? At least he's getting yes. games for your team. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Keeping Carlson. I hope that you guys have enjoyed the ride. I was actually worried going into this week that maybe we wouldn't have that much to talk about with only three games uh, or three days of game action since our last episode. But I think we did pretty well. I think we found a few interesting nuggets that will hopefully help us going into, like you said, our final playoff stretch of the season. Good luck to everyone. Try to get into those playoffs. And then obviously you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson with any advice questions you want to throw at us to try to help you get there. Any like trades you want to make trade deadline coming up. So maybe take a look at drops and free agency. We'd love to help at Keeping Carlson. You could also get help if you join our patron only Facebook group where people are asking questions and helping each other all the time. It's such a great community. I'm like so 
like blessed. I feel like it's like fantastic that th- this community exists. Thank you so much to everyone who has formed it and is making it so good. And of course, also for supporting our show to get access to that fa- Facebook group. So if you want to join that again, keeping Carlson.com slash patron, you support the show for five bucks a month. It's like nothing, right? Like you buy Brian or I a beer. Like I like to say once a month, not even an expensive beer. You get that nice feeling of knowing you're supporting a podcast that you feel supports you. And also you get all those great perks. I haven't even mentioned all the perks. There's other stuff. You'll see it all on the website, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. With that, Brian, let's cue the outro music. It's playing now, by the way. People watching the live YouTube uh, video don't hear it. But for the people listening to the edited MP3, you're hearing this beautiful song made by the great Pat Roach right now while Brian is going to read you the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our very newest one who also joined us for the live chat tonight at keepingcarlson.com slash live, Elijah K. Welcome. This episode was researched with help from Dabra Hockey, Frozen Pole, Dabra Prospects, Corsica, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Great job as always, Brian. Adam is still lauding you in the chat room for your, uh, was it Herb Kane poll earlier in the episode? He's loving that. You did a great job, Brian, as always. And I can't wait to do this all again with you next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. Had a good All-Star game, by the way. Way to go, Eric Carlson. Very important. Also, did you see there was an Instagram post? Love him in a picture with Steven Stamkos, and then he commented on it, saying, like, my future teammate. Or maybe that was, like, uh, Photoshop. I didn't actually look into if that's real or not, but I thought that was It's definitely too. not real. <laughs> there was a lot last year at the All-Star game when, like, he was hanging out with Victor Hedman. And, oh, he's going to go to Tampa. Well, yeah, well, he hasn't had the choice yet to choose. Now he'll finally get to go where he wants. Maybe he will go to Tampa and hang out with Victor Hedman and Steven Stamkos all the time. What a cool group of dudes that'll be. Well, as long as he sticks with San Jose for the rest of this year, I got my Sharks hat on, I got my Shark bet on them winning the cup, so I'm super stoked for the Sharks, and then next year, I'll buy a lightning hat, and I'll cheer for them. Wherever Carlson goes, that's where I go. Is the show still going? I think it is. Okay, bye, everybody. Bye.